I want to say thank you all so much for dialing in tonight. I believe I have got an awesome, awesome word for all of us, and I've been so fired up all day long to be with you. Uh, I preached a message on Sunday titled, Standing Against the Storm, and tonight will be the part two of that message, and most likely this coming Sunday will be the part three of that message. And so if you liked what I preached on Sunday, or if you haven't heard it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that on our YouTube page or on our live stream from Facebook. And uh, follow along as I talk about weathering, riding out, facing, overcoming the storms and the adversity of life that we're all facing now. Some of us have faced many in our past, and chances are highly likely that you're going to face some again in the future. And so I want to have you fully equipped. I want to see you stand firm through this. I want to see you come out stronger on the backside of the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, I don't want anybody to get sick, but if you did, I'm believing for supernatural healing over your life, and I don't want anybody to die. And so let's pray against it in unity, all of us together standing uh, as one body of Christ all over the world. And uh, that's what I want you to do, and that's what I'm believing for. And so tonight, I'm going to be talking about riding out the storm. Uh, but before I do that, what I'd like to do is I would like to first let all of you know that it's such an important time for the local church, probably as an important time as it's ever been. This is a time where the local church is truly making a difference in everything that we do in our community. We've done it through hurricanes. We've done it through lots of personal crisis situations. We've uh, ad We've weathered storms for thousands of years, and we will continue to weather this one, but we're not going to just barely make it. I believe that we're going to come out stronger on the backside, and what we do now during the storm is so important, and so one of the things that I've continued to say is that even though a lot of your cities have a stay-in-place order, ours uh, was just issued today, which I believe is going to start tonight. Um, and thank God, let's just rejoice that the restaurants and the business, the uh, uh, coffee shops and restaurants are able to stay open through all of this. That highly affects me because I have coffee shops here in Corpus Christi, and so people will still be able to get out and get takeout orders and curbside service and drive-through service during this time. So I'd like to personally and publicly say thank you to our city leaders and to our mayor for allowing that to stay in place. But the church is advancing mightily in this time, and it may not look like most people think it is. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight in this message. But what I want you to know is that from these live streams, from us reaching into people's homes via the World Wide Web, I firmly believe that we're seeing Habakkuk 2.14 already beginning to take place. And that scripture says that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I believe what we're going to see on the backside of this is an incredible revival and great movement of God's presence and power all over the world and people running to be a part of his family. That's what I'm believing for. And for those of you that would be watching this live stream tonight that have maybe been standing on the outside or you've been unsure about Christianity or unsure about church, uh, maybe you've had bad experiences in your past or you've seen things that you don't like, my heart is to show you the true side and nature of the Lord and what church should be like. And so I talk about it a lot, and I want to really encourage you to listen closely to this message because it's going to apply to you as well as all the Christians and believers all over the world. But right now, it's important that we all stand behind our local churches. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is that we all make a sacrifice during this time. We're sacrificing time. We're sacrificing our energies to bring these kind of messages we're also doing all that we can to help those that are in need, whether it's with groceries, food, medical care, babysitting, walking dogs, whatever it is that we can do, running to get prescriptions for uh, family members. We're in the trenches doing all we can to help other people. And only time is actually going to tell what's going to happen from a financial standpoint. But what I do know is no matter what happens, the church is going to always be there fighting on the front lines. And so I want to ask all of you, please, during this time, to continue giving to your local church. And if you are a part of Rock City Church and you're watching this live stream, I want to ask you to please give to Rock City Church right now. Not only do we have families that we take care of, but we also have our staff, and we also have so many other expenses that we want to make sure we don't fall behind on during these times. Now, if you've been following me for any period of time, I'm just going to say it publicly, this church has never had a money problem, and I believe that we never will. 
We've saved a substantial amount of money to weather out the storm, but uh, it's just a matter of time if people were to stop giving where that could run out. Now, I don't believe that that's going to happen, and so I want to ask all of you during this time to please give what you can and give faithfully and pray and ask the Lord what you're supposed to give. Make a sacrifice when a sacrifice matters the most. So there are several ways that you can give, uh, which are pulled up on the screen right now. You can give by text message, and you can text right from your cell phone to 77977 and type in Rock City Corpus in all caps. And then you can set up an account to give right from your smartphone. You can also give uh, on our website at rockcitycorpus.com. And for those of you that live locally, you can still come by and drop off checks in our mail slot at our office at 10309 South Padre Island Drive, Suite C1, Corpus Christi, Texas, 7841. Eight. And so if you'd like to mail in a check or if you'd like to drop one off here at the church, you can still do that, but you can also give right from the comfort of your home. So I challenge you guys to please continue to give during this time. It's not a desperate plea for finances. I trust the Lord and I know he's going to take care of us, but it's a reminder that we all pull weight and row together to continue to see God move all over the earth through the local church. So let's pray. And again, thank you so much for giving. Father, I thank you for taking care of every single person that's watching on this live stream right now. I thank you, God, that they don't have to worry or be afraid, and I pray for peace and comfort and strength into their hearts and their lives. I thank you, Lord, that we're not going to just be all right and barely make it, but we're going to come out stronger on the backside. And so, Lord, during this time, as so many are making sacrifices to give, I thank you, Lord God, that uh, the reward of your heart, the reward of your presence, the reward of a spiritual life is the best thing we could ever ask for. And I thank you, God, that you always take care of us. According to your riches and glory, you'll supply all of our needs. And I thank you, Lord, that you are our provider and our supplier, and we look to you. And I pray that as everybody gives tonight, that, Lord, you would just comfort them and strengthen them and bless them mightily. And I thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to dive right into the Word tonight on a Wednesday night. I'm so glad that I get to be together with you right in the comfort of your home. I am here at the church. I've got my media crew, which I'd like to give a shout out to. We did have some technical difficulties, as you could tell at the beginning of this live stream with our worship. For some odd reason, of course, tonight a cable chooses to go bad, and we were getting some uh, static noise in on the live feed during worship. But our crew worked really, really, really hard to get it fixed, and I want to give a shout-out to my media crew, my camera crew, everybody that's running the PowerPoint and the sound, and that's worked so hard with the cameras to make this live feed possible. And I also want to give a shout-out to my worship team uh, for coming in here and worshiping with Jesus sitting right in the front row. Uh, and, and as long as two or more are gathered, he's in our midst. And so... We want to worship, continue to have worship in the house of the Lord, and also stream that right into your home. So thank you so much to Nathan Harden and my worship team for being here tonight and leading us through worship time. Tonight, we're going to talk about riding out the storm. And as I mentioned earlier, this is going to be the part two of Sunday's message. And in Sunday's message, I taught out of Luke chapter 6, and I talked out of Matthew chapter 7, how there's a wise man and there's a foolish man. The wise man hears the word of God and does it, and he's likened to the man that builds his house on the rock. When the wind and the rain and the floods come, that house stands firm because it has a firm foundation. But the foolish man hears the word and doesn't do it. He's likened to the man that builds his house on the sand. And when the wind and the rain and the floods come, that house falls with a mighty crash. Luke would also share that same story as Jesus preached it a second time at the Sermon on the Plain, and there he talked about the wise man digging deep. And sometimes it's extremely difficult to dig deep, but you've got to dig deep to find the rock. And that means that we stay disciplined in his word, disciplined to hear his voice, and disciplined to keep digging and keep building upon the rock all the days of our life. But he used two words in Luke chapter 6, 40, uh, six and, or 48 and 49. He used two words. He said, beat vehemently. He said, the wind and the rain and the floods and the stream beat vehemently against that house. And I want to pick up from there tonight. 
what it feels like right now for so many people is that the storm of what we're facing with coronavirus all over the world and the shutdown of our economy and the shutdown of uh, our lifestyles, the stopping of so many things, it feels like our worlds have completely come to a stop just like it would in the middle of a hurricane beating against our house and what we're feeling is the pressure of a beat vehemently, violently and aggressively against our homes. I don't know how long this storm's gonna last. It could go another week, two weeks. I'm believing it's gonna end in the next seven to 10 days or for sure within two weeks. That's what I'm believing for and I wanna ask you to believe for that with me. But if, if it does end in the next two weeks or seven, to, seven days to 14 days, then that means all of us have another week or two to ride out the storm. And then there's the after effect. We're gonna have to assess the damage after the fact and we're gonna have to reevaluate and reassess our homes, how we built, where we stand, and what is the cause and effect of what's been taking place. But right now, a lot of you may be starting to feel the pressure of the storm beating against your house. Paycheck stop, job could have stopped, or your hours have been decreased, or you got laid off. Fortunately, our government's made some decisions with unemployment. But regardless, our life as we knew it in so many ways has stopped, shifted, or changed. And you could be feeling all kinds of pressure. You could be feeling pressure about what the uncertainty of your future is going to look like, especially what your job looked like, when your finances are going to bounce back, how you're going to pay your bills. Many of you are going to have to use savings during this time. And suddenly you can start to feel yourself afraid or worried, not to mention possibly getting sick. Many people are having this fear and torment that they could potentially get sick from coronavirus. And I do understand that it's out there. I do understand that our government's wanting to do all that they can to make sure people don't get it. But I also understand that God doesn't want us to walk in fear or to be afraid, and he wants us to know that his blood will cover us and protect us. Now, there are people that I have known. We actually just lost a, a uh, I didn't know him, but several of my pastor friends knew him, uh, a minister, a pastor in another state, uh, got sick and passed away to coronavirus. Here's what I know despite that. He knew Jesus, and I know where he's at, He's on the other side, and I can assure you that he's rejoicing and cheering us on and championing us to be confident, strong, and bold in our faith. And what you can't do is walk in fear. Now, you can make choices and decisions that can, can limit or prohibit your exposure to this sickness. And that's why our government's in placing, uh, enforcing or implementing so many of these different laws such as the social distancing or the quarantines or all these other terms and narratives that they put in place, uh, stay in place, shelter in place, all that they can do to try to stop that from happening. And I have a lot of thoughts on that, and I don't necessarily want to go down that road right now. The most important thought that I will give you is that I firmly, wholeheartedly, and uh, confidently believe that God will protect his people and God will protect you and watch over us and keep us from a plague and a pestilence. I have lots of promises in the Bible, and I've said it before, and I'm gonna say it again, that even if I caught it or you caught it, I believe in supernatural healing and that we can beat this thing together. That's what I believe. And so in this particular case, I am fully honoring what our city leaders and our government has put in place to flatline this disease and pandemic from spreading any further or taking any more lives. I don't necessarily agree with many of the ways that they're going about it, but at the end of the day, I feel like the church's role and responsibility right now is to fight for life and to show unity. If this was a church persecution, it would be a different story. If I was told that I couldn't preach the gospel, we couldn't meet together because it's illegal, then you would have to arrest me or martyr me. That's pretty much where I stand. But right now, I wanna show unity with my city government, and I wanna show unity with the city leaders, and I wanna show them that through this we fought together to bring life, and that the church is here to bring positive, effectual change to our community in every way. You've gotta understand that when the storms are beating against your house, it's the most uncomfortable time. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden out through a tornado or through a hurricane, but I have. 
And when you ride out a hurricane and the winds are howling at over 100 miles an hour, I've been through a Category 5 hurricane. When you're buried alive inside the house and you hear everything crashing and breaking and door slamming and the roof's ripping off and you can see out to the sky, it's pretty freaky. It's pretty scary. And it's in these times where as the storm is beating vehemently against your house, you've got to have some tools and some understanding of how am I going to ride out this storm. Now, my next message will be the fact that I believe the storm is going to ultimately take us to our destination. I believe that God has a purpose and a plan in the midst of it. That doesn't necessarily mean that the, the sickness and the death and destruction he caused it and I understand 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13. And may he have allowed it to awaken the church? Sure, may he have allowed it to cause us to uh, really get unified and to truly become the body of Christ over the word, world? Absolutely. But in the end, true sickness and disease always is rooted in the enemy's camp. And so I'm going to stand against the sickness. I'm going to stand against the disease, but I'm going to respond right. And that's why God always causes us or calls us to have a right response. And I said this on Sunday, I'm gonna keep saying it. Everybody, in a sense, is facing the exact same storm, but not everybody's gonna respond the same way. And that's why how you respond right now in riding out the storm, however long it's gonna be, is the most critical decision that you can make. Even when the shutters are flapping, the windows are busting, the glasses are breaking, the, the kitchen cabinets are slamming, the bank accounts seem to be running out. The jobs come to an end. There's so many uncertainties. You can't enjoy life, birthday parties, beaches. So many things that we love to do and the freedoms we've had on a daily basis seem to be taken away from us. But one of the things that's important to know about every single storm is that it always passes. And I don't know when this storm's gonna pass, but I know it's gonna pass. And what I know is I wanna look back and I wanna say that during this storm, I responded rightly. And tonight, I'm going to talk with you about responding rightly. All right? We're going to talk about responding rightly. When I think about a storm biblically, there are a lot of incredible storms that the Israelites and even the New Testament believers, disciples, and apostles had to weather through. But there's one particular storm that has been coming to my mind a lot that speaks to me about how we're supposed to respond during this time. And that particular storm, which should not have been a storm, though it was, there was difficulty and adversity in it, but the Israelites chose to not respond right in the midst of hardship, would be when they were set free as being, from being slaves in Egypt and then were taken into the desert heading to the promised land. They were sent out with all the gold and silver from Egypt, and some of you may not know the story of Exodus, but I highly recommend that you go read it again because I believe in so many ways the church is now in a type of Exodus. I believe that God is setting us free, in a sense, from an Egyptian slavery mentality that we have had in the world system, whether that's with entertainment or sports, or anything that we've idolized or put our trust in, and what he's doing is he's literally bringing us back to himself. That's what I believe is supposed to be the end result of this storm. And in fact, every storm that we weather should have that response. Because even when this storm passes, mark my words, another one's going to come. And I don't know if, how it's going to come globally or nationally, but one thing I do know as a pastor for many, many years is that storms always seem to happen personally. And that's why Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But to take heart, I've overcome the world. And so trouble, storms, hardship, all can be inevitable. But your response is what really should awaken you and quicken you and make you to be the man or woman of God that you're supposed to be instead of caving, cowarding, uh, falling into depression, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, nightmares, and then numbing yourself out on drugs and alcohol and pleasures and comforts because you're so dissatisfied on the inside. That's not the way that God wants you to respond. And so I'm here as a voice, a confident leader voice to your life to help you stay the course and ride this storm out properly. And we have so many great insights biblically of how to do that. Even though God would supernaturally provide for the Israelites in the desert, 
what I want you to know is that it wasn't enough for an entire generation. An entire generation would perish in the desert. When they should have made it to the promised land, they began to complain and they began to second guess and doubt and disbelieve and fall into sin patterns, which in turn would keep them in the desert 40 years too long. The journey to the promised land from Egypt should have taken less than two weeks. But because of being hard-hearted, because of disobedience, because of not honoring God's voice, what would happen to them? They would walk in circles for 40 years. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment with me what it would be like to live in the desert for 40 years. Now, we could do an entire message just on that. And we already know that the, the Israelite nation complained repeatedly in frustration that they were going to die, they were in lack, and that it would have been better off for them to go back to slavery. That they had it better off when they were in slavery, which was a deceptive demonic lie to them. And God was patient, and God would repeatedly continue to have grace upon them, but eventually the complaining was enough, and he couldn't take it anymore. And he realized, if I let that generation go into the promise the way that they are, they'll actually destroy thousands of generations of promises that were in front of them. But imagine with me what it would be like to be in the desert for 40 years. So I'm thinking to myself, we're all weathering a storm right now. All of us are facing the same thing. Now, some of us have more resources than others. Some people have more money. Some people are debt-free while others are not. Some people have the ability to make it six months, a year, or longer because of their savings. But at the end of the day, savings, money, and debt-free, though it could help, it's not the ultimate answer. Because people can have all those things and still be extremely miserable and have no peace in their life. Going through the desert for 40 years, the heat moving all the time, all the struggles, all the challenges, the heat by day, the cold by night, everything that they would face would be a difficult challenge for them for 40 years. And of course, the natural tendency would be to complain. But God would consistently, supernaturally show himself. He would lead them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. He would pour out manna from heaven, the bread of life from heaven. He would provide meat for them. He would literally supernaturally take care of them as a good father every step of the way. So he would provide for them, but it wasn't enough. And this is what I want you to think about tonight as I dive into this message. Because if we are complaining, worried, and afraid, and doubtful, what you're really saying is God's provision is not enough. What you're really saying is, I don't actually believe the Lord's going to take care of me. And that's what the Israelites did. And the result of what they would do would be several things. Number one, they would not heed God's voice. Now, what's unique about this understanding that I'm teaching you tonight is that the Israelites actually all heard God's voice, but they did not, did not all heed God's voice. Now, I can't emphasize enough to you how important it is to hear God's voice, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But with hearing also comes heeding. You have to also heed his voice when he talks. And I believe God's talking through me. I believe God's talking through great leaders in Christendom all over the world right now, great pastors in this city, pastors all over the world. But I'm giving you a message that I believe if you will heed, it will change your life and you will come out of this more confident, stronger. And when you look back at the damage done, when you walk out on the blue, sunny sky day after the storm has ravished your house, what are you going to see? You know, in the natural, once the hurricane hits, you either built it right or you didn't. Once that category four or five storm beats against your house in the natural, your house is either ready or it's not. But when Jesus talked about the parable of building your house on the sand and the rock, he's talking about your heart. He's talking about this house, your house, your family. And so the great thing about that understanding is that with this storm, you can actually make an adjustment of how you build right in the middle of it. 
Whereas in the natural, you can't jump out and say, let me build my house a little higher and a little bit stronger. Because Jesus is talking about your house, you can actually make an adjustment right now on how you build and start building differently right in the middle of the storm. Yeah! Woo! That is an awesome paradigm. It's an awesome understanding. So the Israelites in the desert, complaining, frustrated, hardship, a type of storm that I'm talking about tonight for them, which should have been a time of God's supernatural provision, trust, belief, growth, heeding his voice, learning relationship with him. Instead, what it became was basically hell on earth for them. And I don't want this to be hell on earth for you. I want this to be a fruitful time. And I firmly believe, firmly believe that this time can be a fruitful time. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean we're not fighting. Biblically, we're called to fight the good fight of faith. But for some of you, it's a miserable fight of faith. And that's not what God called you to, how God called you to fight. It's a good fight because I'm fighting from a position of victory instead of fighting for victory. I'm not fighting to win. Jesus already won it on the cross. Now all I have to do is stay rooted in him and stay rested, which I'm going to teach you about tonight. And in turn, the fight that I'm fighting is actually a good fight. Man, that was a good fight. Why? Because one, I already have the victory. Number two, I'm going to knock out deception, lies, depression, worry, fear, anxiety. I'm actually going to grow stronger in the midst of the storm and the fight. That's a good fight right there. When you come out better than you were before. And my question for you is, are you going to come out better than you were before? Or is your house going to crash? Your house doesn't have to crash. Hear, hear my voice now. Your house does not have to crash in the midst of this. Mark my words. I had this yesterday when I got the news that the city could potentially shut down my coffee shops. I started to go down this track in my mind that I'm going to have to fire 17 employees. I'm going to have to shut the shops down. I have milk and meat and sandwiches, and I have tons of fresh coffee that could go bad if the shops get shut down. And my mind started to move in this direction. Then my money would dry up, and then all of a sudden I wouldn't be able to pay my bills, and then all of a sudden, and then next thing you know, I'm finding myself going down this route, and I felt this heaviness and this weight of anxiety and depression and worry and fear, and it was bogging me down and bogging me down. But because I have learned to hear God's voice, because I'm listening and have turned my ear, and because I'm saying, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient to whatever you say, I'm not going to walk in disbelief. I'm going to trust you. Something shifted on the inside of me. And I'm not kidding. From that moment, which lasted probably about, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes of me going down this road inside my head of what ifs, suddenly faith stepped in. Belief stepped in. Confidence stepped in. And I found myself rising back up into a confident stature as a son and knowing, wait a minute, I believe everything that this word has to say. I've stood on it for 27 years, 28 years now. I've weathered massive storms and have only come out stronger. Why would God fail me now? Woo! And he's not going to fail you now. So why do we allow ourselves to go down that route? Because so many people choose to not listen to God's voice. They choose to start complaining like the Israelites did in the desert. This is what the Israelites did. They complained. They did not heed God's voice in the midst of the desert. And in turn, they began to sin. Now, for if you don't know what sin is, the simple understanding of sin is not doing what God instructs you to do as the best thing for you. Anything that's not a faith of sin. Sin is literally an archery term of instead of hitting the bullseye, I miss the mark. I'm missing God's standard and the mark of what he has for my life. Because he knows way what's better for me than I do. He knows what's better for you so much more than you do. That's lordship. I'm not in control of my life. I co-labor together with him. I've, I'm led by his spirit and we work together because we're in an intimate relationship and fellowship. But 
at the end of the day, he's not my co-pilot. He's my pilot. Yeah. And that means that during times like this, who's flying the plane? Who's guarding our house? On Sunday, I preached out of Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, you're wasting your time. You're working hard for nothing. If the Lord's not watching the city, the watchmen are staying awake all night in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, go to bed late, and eat, the bre eat your bread with sorrow. Why? Because I'm not rested. I'm working in my own strength. I'm toiling. It's anxious toil to meet my needs. And some of you are falling into anxious toil right now. And I'm telling you, you got to stop it. And the only way that you can do that, one, is to heed God's voice, know the truth, stand on his written word and his spoken word. You have to have both of them in your life. Not just quoting and throwing scripture at it. Not just going through your spiritual disciplines and then as soon as you get out, you cave. We, we become emotional roller coasters of ups and downs and ups and downs. That's not what I want from you. And that's not what God wants. God wants you to stay in perfect peace at all times. He wants your mind stayed on him, and he wants you to hear his voice continuously and understand the truth of his word. Everything I, I talk about always comes back to the truth of God's word, biblically. But I'm also speaking from his right now rhema word, which means I'm speaking to you what I believe God is saying. This storm's going to pass. You'll come out stronger. Your house will stay on the rock. You'll learn lessons from it. You'll build a testimony from it. And the storm's actually taking us where we're supposed to go. But in the end of the day, we're all freaked out and caving like the disciples did in the boat saying, Master, we're going to die. We're going to die. Wake up. And there he is in the bottom of the boat. The, the waves are rolling in. It's flooding. And I don't know how in the world Jesus, in the middle of a storm, is sleeping in the bottom of the boat that's flooding with water. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is that what I'm ultimately getting to is rest. Because if you don't understand rest and how to get rest, everything of the opposite of rest is anxiety, worry, doubt, fear, panic. And that's what the Israelites did. That's why the desert understanding of Israel being in the desert after they were delivered from Egypt is such an important message for you right now. This is a right now word for all of us. What should have been God's supernatural provision, fire by day, cloud by day, fire by night, manna, quail, water was bitter. He heals our bitterness and unforgiveness. The cross, the promise, the reverse of the curse, the snake on the staff, all these things God wanted to demonstrate, the parting of the Red Sea, delivering you from slavery, changing your life, all these things that should be happening when we find ourselves complaining, worry, anxious, disobedient, what happens? When we find ourselves running after sin and the things of this world for comfort and pleasure, what happens? And I'm gonna tell you what happens. Our hearts get hard. Your heart will get hard. And then in turn, you won't make it to the promise and the promised land was a promise of rest. The promised land was a promise of rest. So right now I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to look at this in the Bible. And I'm going to, I'm going to paint a picture for you or weave a tapestry or, or tie in a story of the scriptures to everything that I'm telling you right now. So let's, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3 starting at verse 7. Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, which, by the way, I want you to notice as the Holy Spirit says, because the Holy Spirit is speaking. The greatest form of Christian maturity, in my opinion, and what I believe from my reading the Bible, is to be Spirit-led. What's the Holy Spirit saying and leading you? Because in turn, rooted in the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, which, number one, is love. So if you're Spirit-led, you're learning how to love the way Jesus loved. And perfect love casts out all fear. So that deals with fear right off the bat when you're spirit-led. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, if you will what? Hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness. 
where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Let's just pause there for a moment. I am begging you not to try and test God during this time. How do you try and test God? By being obstinate, being rebellious, being stubborn. Defiant is a great word. And there are people in this land that are still being defiant and obstinate, but not you. I want to be submitted. I want to be broken. I want to step into everything God has for me by actually today hearing his voice and not hardening my heart. So it says in verse 10, Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they've not known my ways. See, God wants you to know his ways. I want you to notice that what we just read, he talked about they saw my works for 40 years but they did not know his ways. God's works are everywhere around us. His creation demonstrates his handiwork. All the stars, the sky, everything that we see around us, life, the birthing process of a baby is an incredible representation. The human being, the human anatomy, there's so much of God's works. And God was saying, look, I did supernatural works for you and you all saw it but you still didn't know my ways. Because what does God really want more than anything from us? To know his ways, to know him, to be in intimate relationship with him as a father and a son or a father and a daughter. He wants you to know his ways. But the Israelites were obstinate and they did not know my ways. Let's look at verse 11. So God swore in his wrath, they're not gonna what? Enter my rest. So here we have this entrance of this word that says because they were obstinate, because they were defiant, because they were uh, disobedient, what would happen? No rest. I can assure you when people are anxious, fearful, worried, doubtful, depressed, all the things that we see people spinning out on, it's because they don't have rest and peace in their life. Verse 12, beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We're going to come back to this scripture here in just a moment. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, notice this, if we hold fast or hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We have to hold our confidence steadfast to the end. Notice it's conditional. We're partakers of Christ if what? You don't give up. Woo! Do not give up. Now's not the time for you to give up, especially when the storm is beating vehemently against your house. This is not the time to give up. In fact, this is the time to get stronger and tougher and make adjustments in your life, have more peace, more confidence, more rest, and truly let the Lord demonstrate the greatness of who he is. Because as he asked me, I'm going to ask you, do you really believe God's who he says he is? Do you really believe that God's who you say you are? Do you really believe that God is who we sing about in our songs? Because if you do, then we would change the way that we act and live our lives. <clears throat> Verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. There it is the second time. And I want to just go ahead and read verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? It's a rhetorical question. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Everybody that came out of Egypt heard God's voice. You're hearing God's voice. But are you going to be faithful and obedient to do what God says? So even though an entire generation did not enter the promised land, I want to go back to verse 12 because we have a warning here. Let's go back to verse 12. Beware, lest there be in any of you. Now this is switching to us. We've been the, the writer's been talking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. 
how they were, what they did, and that God swore they wouldn't enter the re- his rest. And ultimately, an entire generation would perish. But check this out. The scriptures now switch to talking to you and me. And here's a warning. It says, beware. That's a warning. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So we got a warning. Don't fall into unbelief when the storm's beating against your house. Don't fall in to a pattern of an evil heart because unbelief is an evil heart. Now, I get it. There are times we doubt. There are times we wrestle. There are times we struggle. I get process. I get patience. I get the fact that you, I can't tell you how many people that I comfort on a weekly basis and the body of Christ helps that's fallen to unbelief. And we can even cry out to Jesus to help us with our unbelief. But what you have to see is God's warning us, just like the Israelites were in the desert, to not do what they did. Why? Because you will not find rest and peace in your life. God wants you to enter into his rest. And I'm going to show you that there's a rest right now. Not only is there a rest coming for all of us in eternity when Jesus returns or when we pass away as believers and saints in Christ, not only do we find an eternal rest, but did you know there's a rest that remains right now for you and me, and I can learn and you can learn to rest when the storm is beating vehemently against our house. Because the best way to fight the good fight is to fight from a position of rest. Let me ask you a question. What did Jesus do? What was the first thing Jesus did when he ascended to heaven after he resurrected? Now we know that the first thing he did was he made a sacrifice with his own blood. He presented himself. But the Bible says that when he ascended, he sat down at the right hand of, his fa- of the Father, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, which means he kicked his feet up. On the seventh day, the Father rested, but there was no morning and night, which means that he still rested. It means that Jesus is seated, waiting from a position of rest. He fights from a position of rest. This is called the good fight. It's not a good fight when I'm fighting from anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, and depression. Now, I'm not trying to bring any condemnation to you. Don't feel condemnation. I only know this message by going through a lot of doubt, fear, worry, and disbelief, and weathering a lot of storms. So I'm here to help you tonight. I'm here to help you to be more than a conqueror. And I'm here to to help snap you out of that dysfunctional way of thinking of fear, worry, doubt, and disbelief and get you in a position of rest and keep you there. And when you have your moments, like I had yesterday, yesterday, I turned my ear to heaven. I said, Lord, I believe. I heard God say to me, you're going to come out stronger than when you went in, and I'm taking you where I want you to go, and that on the backside of this, it's going to be awesome. And I get it, doubt and the what ifs, and oh my gosh, all the horrible things, and man, pastor, I sure hope you're right. I'm like, listen to me. This is not just the optimist and encourager speaking in me. This is me standing on the word of God, trusting and believing. I've always believed the harder and the darker it gets in the world around me, the brighter my light's going to shine. The brighter the church's light's going to shine. And actually, in our weakness, his strength's made perfect. So we find God in the midst of weakness, brokenness. We find his strength and confidence in the midst of the storm. So back to verse 13. This is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. So we're warned. Catch this. You are going to love, love, love this. We are warned in verse 12 beware that we don't that that there be that there wouldn't be an evil heart of unbelief why would we have an evil heart of unbelief because we departed away from the living god do not depart from the living god right now not the dead god the living god don't run to sex drugs alcohol, numbing out to the comforts of this world, turning away from God, falling into fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, and depression. How do you do that? Do not depart from the living God. 
And I'm not talking about nice Christianese, Christian duty, because look, God even said, I'm going to take away the idolatry of your Sunday morning or Wednesday night church meetings. Because it was never about a building. It's about a family. And God's saying, look, you don't get to get comforted because you got to go to a church service church service. I want my comfort to be in you full time. You don't get to just have a moment in, in when you read my Bible and throw scripture at it, and then when you get out, you start to cave. God's wanting you to walk in full-time rest. This is a conversion process for so many of you that have to take the step to the next level now. You've got to shift. You've got to get converted from where you were living. Because if this is knocking you down and knocking you out, trust me, harder things are to come. And God will actually use this to test you and to build you and strengthen you. So check out verse 13. So he says, 12 and 13 go together. Verse 12 says, beware, don't depart. But verse 13, whoo, I love, love, love verse 13. What's the answer to not hardening your heart and the deception of sin? Exhort one another while it's called today. Now, let me tell you, if there's one scripture that probably identifies my life, I'm an off-the-top encourager, exhorter. Why? Keep it in context. Because I understand that people want to depart, sin's crouching at people's door, hard hearts, not hearing God's voice. So God says, here's what I want you to do. Verse 13. When is today? Today's right now. Guess what tomorrow will be? It'll be today. Every day is a today. So what he's saying is the body now needs each other. And so what you should be seeing from the online broadcast, from the Facebook lives, from the live stream, what you should be hearing from my heart, and even, because I still recommend that even in a stay in place that you find close friends and close family, you simply cannot live in complete isolation. God did not create us to live that way. And I get it, even for a high, high introvert, which is my wife, she still has to have interaction and people and family. And even at some point, an introvert says, I got to have some people around me. Now, it may be, you know, not as often as I would like, but we still have to have human interaction. Why? Check out the scripture. Exhortation. Exhort one another while it's called today. Why? So that you don't fall in to the hardening of your heart through the deceitfulness of sin. So exhortation also breaks people out of sin. Relationship, conversations, hardship breaks people out of sin. We've got to hear his voice and we've got to believe. Now I want you to jump to the next chapter, Hebrews chapter four, and we're going to look at verse eight. Now all of Hebrews four is about the promise of rest. And I don't have time right now to, to dissect it. This is actually would be a very detailed, lengthy Bible study for those of you that would like to pick up this message from here and drill it down or water it and bloom and blossom it with your family and your friends. But I want to jump over to verse 8. And everything prior to this was talking about how there was a greater promise that Moses and David and Joshua we're always looking for the promised land, but there was a greater promised land and a promise of rest that was coming. There was another day. So let's look at that. Verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Now y'all aren't here, but why don't you just say it with me, another day. You know when that another day is? It's right now. We're living in the another day. Verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And then verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. This is a powerful, powerful block of scriptures. There remains a rest. It's his rest that we all have to enter into. It's not a prefabricated rest. It's not a rest that you get from getting high or drunk or the pleasures of this world. It's everlasting. It's not a temporary rest or a temporary peace. It's everlasting. It never fades. 
And this rest actually leads us to cease from our work. Look at verse 10. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, just as God did from his. You know what that means? It does not mean faith without works is dead and that I don't show work by love and do things for people. That's not what we're talking about. What it means is I'm not striving in my own work like the man did in Psalm 127 as a workaholic. It means that I'm not afraid. It means I'm not working. It means I'm rested. So I've ceased from my work in my own strength. You have got to stop striving and working in your own strength. You got to do it God's way. And the only way that you can do that is with supernatural rest. Again, think Jesus in the bottom of the boat during the storm. How about this? God would actually use the desert to test the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Let me turn over there in my Bible. And I want to read this to you, Exodus 20, 20. Right after the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai, the Israelites were pretty freaked out by the cloud, the, th the, the lightning, the thunder, the, the sound, the voice of a trumpet coming off the mountain. To me, that sounds glorious. But to people that were obstinate and disobedient and didn't understand God's ways, they're freaked out and afraid of it. But I want you to notice what God says in Exodus 20, verse 20. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you. Does God test you? You better believe he does. Fiery trials to test you actually produce a rejoicing and a perseverance and a patience and a long suffering, and it ultimately produces hope. Is this coronavirus a test for, for all of us? You better believe it is. How are we gonna respond? How are we gonna live? How are we gonna encourage? How are we gonna choose to readjust? How's our house gonna stand? Are we rooted on the rock? Are we reaching out and being a voice to other people's lives? Or are we isolated, holed up in fear, worry, and doubt? So he says in verse 20, most of the people don't fear, for God has come to test you. Why? That his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. If you don't have a healthy fear of God, you will haphazardly throw caution to the wind and dive right in to sinful dysfunction. And I have a fear of God in me right now. I'm going to tell you, I said from day one, this is the time to put away the deceitful lust of your flesh. This is the time to lay down dysfunction. Don't spin out. This is the time more than anything to choose to respond right. It, and I preached it day one, and so many people are preaching it. So many pastors are preaching it. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves, pray, and then turn from their wicked ways. There has to be a turning from our wicked ways. It's so important. And so God was saying, look, I actually took the Israelites into the desert to test them so that, that God would reveal to them and know his ways and fear him. And that's how we should be responding, responding during this storm. God would actually use the desert. Do you know God, once, that, once an entire generation faded away and did not make it into the promised land, for those, some of you may not know the story, you can read it in Exodus, there was an entire generation, over 20, that did not enter into the promised land. And when that new generation got into the promised land, there's a whole subject to the fact that they didn't know how to fight or war because they didn't see the things that their forefathers and the generations before them had saw from the wondrous works of God. So God would say this really powerful thing in the book of Judges. I want to encourage you to turn there. The book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 22 God would actually leave enemy nations that hated the Israelites for this new generation for a purpose, and it, here's what it would be. Judges 2.22, or we can look at verse 21. I'll also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, verse 22, so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them. Check this out or not. Do not be the or not generation. 
Don't be the or not generation. This is the time for you to be upright and integrous. And even if it feels like the enemy's on all sides, even if it feels like the battle's raging everywhere around you, you've got to remember the cross has already happened. Jesus already defeated death, hell, and the grave. The enemy's already under his feet and we're his body, which means he's under your feet. Which means we understand if you're trying to fight in your own strength and trying to win a victory, you're fighting against a defeated foe. But God will allow ourselves to go through situations so that he can try us, test us, and reveal to us the character and nature of who he is. Look at this awesome scripture. Did you know that Jesus would actually be led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Did you know that? Well, I'm going to show it to you just in case you didn't. Matthew chapter 4. Verse one, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness, why? To be tempted by the devil. Why? Well, look at Luke chapter four, verse 14. Because something happens when you overcome. Something happens when you stand firm. Something happens when you get on the backside of a storm. Something happens when you come out stronger than you came out before. It's Luke chapter four, verse 14. Check this out. This is as soon as Jesus was coming out of the desert. It says this in verse 14. Then Jesus returned. He just is coming out of the desert. How? In the power of the spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. So Jesus would be led by the spirit into the desert. He would have to overcome the enemy through God's word and revelation by the Spirit. And in turn, after 40 days of fasting and standing against the enemy, he would actually come back stronger than he was before. And that's why so many people are fasting right now. There's a 40-day fast taking place all over the world. We fasted several times this year. We fasted one day this last Monday. We fasted three days the first, the, immediately when this started to happen. So what's happening the body of Christ should be coming out in power more stronger than they were before. The desert or storms are actually designed to flip us from a master-slave mentality to a proper paradigm of God the Father and Jesus the bridegroom understanding. And I'm going to show you this awesome word from the book of Hosea where basically the nation of Israel was in massive dysfunction and they were pursuing the things of this world. They were giving themselves away to harlotry. They were playing the prostitute. They were chasing other gods and idolatry. The nation had fallen into horrible, horrible plagues and horrible uh, disobedience to the Lord. And so in the book of Hosea, chapter two, it's a very powerful book, but I wanna show you in particular, starting at verse 14, I'm gonna read these few verses and then we're gonna close. Hosea chapter two, verse 14. The nation is to in total disarray. So look what God says. He says, behold, I will allure her. Her is God's people. I will allure her, allure her, and I will bring her into the wilderness. That's why when you're in a wilderness desert season, don't rebuke it and don't try to fight it. Actually flip the narrative. And that's what would happen here. Watch this. Verse 15, I will give her her vineyards from there. And the valley of Achor is a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And, in, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that, I will, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals and they shall be remembered by their name no more. Let me paraphrase it for you. All the idolatry in your life, He's gonna take it out. Seeing God as a master, slave mentality, he's gonna take it out. And now you're gonna see intimate relationship with the Lord. Some of you have been living in a master-slave relationship with God, never measuring up, never pleasing him, legalistic, always striving, always working. And God says, I'm actually the, the remedy to dysfunction in people's lives and playing the harlot and prostituting yourself and idolatry. Here's what it is. I'm gonna take you to the wilderness. 
I'm gonna take you to the desert. And in the desert and in the wilderness, this is awesome, you're gonna sing to me, you're gonna get your vineyards there. The desert and the wilderness actually becomes a fruitful place, but the very best thing that comes out of it is now you'll no longer see God the way that you saw him before. One of the things that's gonna change for you through this is you're gonna learn the faithfulness and the mercy and the kindness of God more than you've ever known it before. And now you're gonna come out with a paradigm of father-son, bridegroom, bride. That's intimate relationship instead of master-slave mentality. And that's what God's saying. And then finally to conclude, jump down to verse 23. Woo, this is so good, verse 23. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. Who's he gonna sow? You and me. Did you know we're being sown into the earth right now? And I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people and, you shall, and they shall say, you are my God. I'm gonna close with this. What God's actually saying is that the people that did not know him because of what, of our response being sown into the earth, because we're his bride, because we now know him intimately as fathers and sons or father and daughter, what happens is the people that did not obtain mercy and know him will get saved. You actually see a revival happen from the wilderness. You actually see yourself bloom and blossom, vineyards, songs, praise, right relationship, and ultimately what's the overflow? The overflow is the lost, the hurting, the broken, the dying, the sick, the hopeless, finding Jesus and finding mercy in the midst of the storm. Yeah! Woo! Is that so good? Man, I can't tell you what an awesome revelation that is. Woo! <coughs> I get myself so fired up. I don't need anybody in this sanctuary because I've learned to live this message. And I'm challenging you right now, live this message. Don't be like the Israelites in the desert. I get it, the storm's beating. It's brutal for so many of you. But this is a time that you can respond right and this is the time that you can really hear God's voice. Be obedient, don't have disbelief in your life, root it out, say yes, Lord, I believe, turn your ear towards him, dig into your Bible, you have got to get to know this word. There's so many great Bible studies and tools that are available to you online. Take the scriptures that I give you and that I preach if you follow me. Drill them down, study them out, get study notes. Get rooted on God's word. Hear it, be obedient. And then what the result will be, if you stay that way, you'll actually find yourself in peace because the door's shut to the devil. My flesh is shut down. I'm not living in wickedness and sin. Instead, I'm living in uprightness of heart. So I have rest and I have peace. And I have it not just because I've been obedient, but because he's rested and he lives in me and he lives in you. He's the prince of peace. So the wilderness, Jesus in the desert, the Israelites in the desert, Hosea preaching to Israel, God, God's gonna lead you and lure you into the wilderness. All can turn for your good and you can do a ninja flip on this thing and actually come out stronger. The wise man builds on the rock, but what happens after the storm passes? You're gonna look back and assess the damage and you're not gonna go, man, that was brutal, that was so hard, that was so different. Instead, you're gonna come out and you're gonna go, oh man, yeah, that was a fight, but that was a good fight and now I've come out stronger. So I wanna pray for you right now, right in your room. I believe that God's presence is gonna come right through this, that computer screen, your phone screen, your TV, and I believe that God's gonna to touch you and comfort you and strengthen you and remind you, and I want you to say yes to this word. I want you to say yes to hearing God's voice and not hardening your heart tonight, so let's pray. Jesus, I just wanna say thank you so much, God, that we don't have to be afraid or worry or doubt, not just because it's a good thing to say and not because of behavior modification. I thank you, Lord God, that we will because we hear your voice and you're speaking, we will be obedient and not have unbelief in our life. And in turn, we will enter into the rest that you have for us right now and the peace you have for us right now because today we hear your voice. I pray that everybody watching me right now would hear your voice. I pray that everybody watching would lay down sin, 
lay down the lies, that they would say yes to you. That if they're not born again, they would answer the call and say, Jesus, I want you and I need you and I say yes to you. Help me, God. Forgive me and have mercy. And I pray for mercy on those who had not obtained mercy. I pray for those that don't know you to know you. That they would see my life being sown and believers' lives being sown all over the world. The time is now. Today is the day to hear God's voice and not harden your heart. In the midst of the storm, make the adjustment. You can do it. You can make the adjustment now and choose to respond right and believe that the storm will actually take you to your destiny, not keep you from it. And I thank you, God, for great hope and faith and confidence in everybody that's been watching. I thank you for the pastors of this city, the pastors all over the world, and the body of Christ rising up in unity and in power all over the world. I thank you, God, for freedom, life, and health. And we pray for everyone that's making decisions from our, our city governments and our national federal governments, but most importantly, the government of the kingdom of God, the standard all over the world is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I thank you so much, Jesus, for your life, your love, your power, and your freedom, your comfort and your strength. And we surrender all to you, and we cease from our striving. We cease from our work. Cease from your striving and cease from your work. Trust God and do it his way. That's my prayer for you. I thank you, God, for that, and I thank you for great sleep, great peace, great strength, great confidence, supernatural dreams and visions in the night, and that we're gonna see you and hear you more than we've ever known before. Thank you that you're speaking loudly. May we all hear and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, woo! Well, as you can see, I'm like super fired up, and I love the fact that I don't have staring faces at me telling me you're going too long and wrap it up. I'm telling you right now, I could talk all night long. I know you know that, but it's time to go. I gotta go put my kids to bed, spend time with my wife. I encourage you to enjoy your family, and before we go, I wanna remind you guys, please give to your local churches and give to Rock City Church if you don't have a local home church or you are a congregant and family member or a tender of Rock City Church. Remember, there's three ways to give. You can give online on our website at rockcitycorpus.com. You can text 77977 to give. Uh, type in Rock City Corpus, not Rock City Church, Rock City Corpus in all caps, and you can also come by the office or mail a check. Thank you so much for supporting us. I love you. Stay tuned this Sunday for part three of this message, and you know what I'm about to say. You better have an awesome, rockin', Fired up day, yeah!